Hi friends, this is Dion, and welcome to the Chavo Pod, and part two, which is the conclusion of my conversation with the super talented Josephine about the black experience in Germany. I hope you enjoyed part one of our discussion, and if you haven't yet listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and do so. So with that, let's jump right back in where we left off last time. Right, it takes a lot of work. Like as we spoke about um, off microphone, you're not just dealing with individual people, you're dealing with an actual system. And because of that system, it can feel like an uphill battle. Because even if you change some hearts and some minds, the system is still there. Um, So, you know, growing up in America, I have a completely different experience because there it was a system that's completely based on race. It's, you know, basically the concept of race itself has only been around for like 500 years. And part of that was because of America. You needed a system to categorize people. Um, In Germany, it's a little bit different. We have a completely different past here. Um, So what do you think, like, here in Germany is a reason why we don't see black faces in companies or positions of power? I mean, I know there's so few of us here, but when I go to different companies, it's rare for me to see... Um, like a black manager, for example. However, I do see many uh, black students who attend the universities here. So we do have quite an educated population, but I feel like I'm the outsider looking in, but I kind of feel like we get left out of those those rooms, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I said, um, I previously said that as a black person you have to work twice as hard so that comes from the fact that there's not a lot of people making it to the top if right. there's one making it to the top making it into political institutions becoming a lawyer um, becoming a doctor because throughout um, the educational system you kind of get selected um, you're not supposed to make it easily through school. You're supposed to be like selected and then just be thrown out. Um, there are a lot of um, statistics that prove that normally the majority of black people or like people of color in Germany, they just don't have the highest degree. They have something below that. Right, they don't make it to the gymnasium, right. they get stuck in like, what's the, is it Realschule, Hauptschule, is it Hauptschule, Realschule? Hauptschule, Realschule, Realschule. and uh, Gymnasium. Is Gesamtschule still around, or um, no? Honestly, I don't know. Okay. There's some, um, Integrierte Haupt- und Realschule, I really like... <laughs> the German school system is complicated, complicated. for my American listeners. Um, I myself don't fully understand it. I went to the gymnasium, which is like the highest. Right. And um, I also made a pretty good degree, which I wouldn't say is like so good, but people, teachers were like, 
oh, you really did a good job. Right. You really did a good job. You could be proud of yourself for how far you've come based on based on. This. Right. So they always act surprised, act surprised when you made it. So that kind of like shows the problem. People don't expect you to make it. Right. They just you are put into school to just you know just survive as long as you can until you drop out or something like that. But they don't expect you to make it. To make it. They don't expect you to even go study at university and then become, as an example, a lawyer. Right. So that is that is the whole problem behind of that. As a black person in Germany, you're not expected to have a huge success. You just you just expected to just be on the low low kind of you know um, in the background of everything, which is sad. But that's just how it is. At least that's just what statistics show. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we don't know what factors also influence all of this. But having all of these numbers. And then um, knowing all of those people that have these, this education, um, that really shows that something is happening. Because it cannot be that we all have like the same degree as an example, but from 10 black people and 10 white people, only three black people make it and seven white people. How come if all the of those have the same degree? Right. Right? So that is some selection that's happening there. And it's really hard as a black person to um, get to the top because, as an example, when you apply for a job, um, people will read your um, apply. Your CV. And, right. Yeah, your CV. And in Germany, you have to put like a picture in right. there to like get a response because <laughs> they are so selective here. The, pic the picture thing in Germany and is really crazy yes. because okay like in America you deal with and they've done studies to show like when they look at your name if yeah. you have a very white sounding name so yeah. you could have like same qualifications or in some cases even higher qualifications but if your name sounds very ethnic then your CV your application is going towards the bottom right but but then in Germany you add the other part of like the picture on top of there so now you're dealing with like your ethnicity and you're also dealing with your your looks and I mean let's say even if you're like a white German like I go to I've been to hundreds of companies in Germany and I notice that there's definitely like a look I know some people cannot work at certain companies if they're not attractive like so the picture thing is like it's wall number one yeah it's wall number one it's such a factor I've been at companies and I'm looking around I'm like wait a minute everyone in this company is quite attractive I'm like there's no one here that you're like oh, so I could see someone sending in their application with great qualifications but their looks are going to be like no you can't work here like exactly. off the rip yeah exactly. that's that's sadly how it works a lot of times so you have the picture thing and the name thing so um, that kind of puts you in a lower position and then as an example if you want to get a new apartment there's the the problem of having 
like a refugee background. Right. And then um, having to, if you have benefited from um, government help, oh, right. you know, like social help, you're also like a little bit downgraded. Right. So imagine being black and having profited from that right. um, system that really makes it hard for you to find an apartment and um, white people don't have that problem so often. They maybe have that problem to have um, come from like lower financial status right. but they are not black on top. Right. That's always something that just you know sticks on you like a shadow, you cannot really get rid of it, it's just something that follows through life and then you also when you yeah when you apply for a job it's your look and um, your name but when you sound German they're like okay so at least she can talk <laughs> and right. then they will maybe let you in because you can articulate good right and um, for them that's like criteria to um, to yeah select those people but I think it's really it's so, it's so hard it's so problematic because not everyone sounds the same at first and that does not show how educated they are or like right. how, it does not put any value to the person if they sound what what is what is even sounding white right in so the first place? <laughs> so so even in germany is kind of that same same type of thought because I, yeah i have often heard that too it's like yeah well this person is this but their German is so it's so good even when they were born here like yeah. they will say that yeah. it's the same like in America where you exist in this space like if you're black and then I've heard this my whole life like oh he's so articulate and so but you know there's like a different meaning behind that because there's this stereotype or you assume that through images you get in media is that oh why don't you talk like a rapper? You know, exactly. like, so this, like, for, I think many times, like, as um, black people in America, our value in America is if you have a microphone in your hand or uh, you're throwing or catching some type of ball. And when you step outside of that, then it's almost like people are amazed, like, oh, well, you're so smart, you're so... You're so cultured or whatever. Agree. And um, as we spoke about earlier, like off microphone, you're into fashion. I spoke about I like fashion. And we talked about how fashion is almost like a uniform for us because it puts people at ease in a way in white spaces. If you're like, well, they're dressed well, so they're a non-threat it's non-threatening and that's another layer that you have to think about like as a as a black person so I always used to wonder why my dad put so much time and energy into dressing good and um, at first I was like oh, maybe he's just so much into fashion but after some time I understood that when you're black just as you said you're like a threat so when you dress well, when you dress like, you know, you're, you're a bit classy as an example, it, it shows the people that you are 
this it's so it's so sad to say that, but like it's you're not a harm. It, everything is fine with you. You know how to dress. You know how to behave according to that. Because right. if you dress classy, you have manners, right? No one with um, bad manners would just highly dress so, like so nice and in a, in a nice suit and everything. So it really puts you in a role. It's always it's almost like you're acting. It's like you're you put on a face and you you play that role of a non threatening person being so kind and being educated which all of those things you are but you just have to act like you are in order to get accepted and um, whenever you put down that uniform you're back in a position of being a black threat so my dad always dressed nice he always had some color coordination going on <laughs> some nice jacket and a good looking belt and um, he used to have long rasta hair so um, he usually got controlled by the police because of um, even though he dressed nice looking like like a rasta man you know and in Bremen we have um, this district called um, that's fit the, the quarter, right. <laughs> the quarter of the, the quarter, city, right. and um, there's the part, a part of the street where you can buy a bunch of weed. But there's also a taxi stand, and my dad um, is a taxi driver, or like now he owns a taxi company. But he at some point stopped to park the car at that place because he always got controlled walking around that area. Um, just because he had long hair and like a beard and he was very dark so he had to make that decision to get out of that um, district when he was working in just to kind of eliminate the chances of getting like controlled by the police and like racial profiled so at one point he was cutting his hair off um, saying he like uh, he said he liked it more that way but he also said that it makes him be more respectable so as a black person you really have to think about how you look and how you present yourself um, I mean it's it's amazing if you have um, the energy and the confidence to just wear your hair just how you like it I think that's exactly how it should be you should be able to wear your afro you should be able to wear your braids and um, your rasta hair your dreadlocks um, sad thing it's not like that <laughs> right not at and all not right. everyone can do that and yeah so my dad did not do that he just kind of um, made himself more approachable as a black person and not as much threatening so um, that also shows that if you look a certain way you have it a little bit easier so there's colorism too right and um, for me not being fully black as people love to say um, it makes me more privileged in that way so I can always refer to the right to the white side of okay. um, my persona I can always refer to my mom being white and me growing up in a white um, environment and did, did you get did your mom get looks like when you were a small child like 
your mom's walking through the city with this black kid? Did people say anything or did they stare or were you aware of that? Yeah, when um, she was alone, they were asking like, oh, is your child adopted? That's so nice. <laughs> like, no, that's my <laughs> child actually. <laughs> when she was... It's so, oh, so, sad. so, so sad. It's so, I mean, um, it's funny to the point that when I was um, growing a little bit older, I was just so used to that. People asking, like, oh, is that your daughter? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that person's daughter. <laughs> actually, that's my mom. Um, but... It's a weird fact, actually. If you think about it, people making assumptions on a child and a mother based on the color. Right. Don't you come up with that idea that she can maybe have like a black man or anything like that? Um, it's always this thing, like when there is a little black child, it must have been kind of rescued and like um, assimilated to some point. I right. feel like there's like of course white saviorism is a thing right so um, it puts people in that position thinking that oh there's this white um, person having a black kid she must have gotten it from somewhere and now she's raising it good um, nourishing it giving it the proper education it needs and all of these assumptions because um, accordingly or like apparently uh, black people cannot give that to their black child. But right. like when my dad was walking around with her, they were not making all of these assumptions. And it was like, oh, there's the black and white person, they have a child. Right. Yeah. Right, that's interesting because in many cases in the States, let's say a black family adopts um, a white child. Mm -hmm. Or um, I remember there was a case of... There was like a black guy, he had married a white woman and she had children before and so now he was the stepfather. And there were times when he would go to the uh, supermarket or something with his children that he's raising and people would call the police because they thought, oh my god, this black guy has kidnapped these poor like white kids. Mm -hmm. And then they would have to explain to him, no, that's our dad, and then it was a whole thing. So. When I hear people say, like, I, well, I don't see color or whatever, I'm like, that's bullshit because we have plenty of situations that we can go to where obviously, like, people see color. Or, yeah, there's just this thought that when you are seen as a black person, there's just all these assumptions. You mentioned the thing about, like, your hair earlier um, and your dad having dreads. So I had dreads believe it or not, <laughs> for a very long time. Yeah, I used to have dreads for like six or seven years. Mm -hmm. And this was in the like mid to late 90s into the 2000s. Mm -hmm. So dreads were not as common as they are now. So people would instantly come up and always want to touch my hair. Yeah. Like, and that's, one, that's another thing that black people deal with a lot. Yes. People coming and just taking their hands and touching our hair it's like please don't do that so a lot of times I would just wear my dreads like in a hat or in a head wrap because I didn't want people touching my hair like you're just sitting down someone comes over and you don't know them they don't say hello how are you they're just like touching your hair calling their friends over or they're assuming that you sell weed 
and they're like, oh, uh, hey, can I buy some weed from you? Yeah. And it's like, I don't even do drugs. I don't sell weed. It's just the, it's the assumptions that, that they're really frustrating. So people really have that look of um, how a black person should look like or um, behave like. And when you don't fit into that picture, they always are surprised. As an example, as you just said, they were just calling you out for maybe having meat and everything, and you didn't. So they are surprised then, at that point, being like, okay, that's weird, right. that's <laughs> odd, you're black, you're not selling anything. And um, that's something that really comes into our daily lives, as an example, um, walking down the street, just being stopped by someone, asked for weed, or... Um, at the club for people not being able to go in. Um, in Germany, you a lot of times have that problem that people of color do not make it into certain clubs. And on the other hand, there's this fetish going on of people or like girls only dating black guys or um, black guys um, only wanting to date white girls because um, they think it's easier which is sad that it like really just mm, became that way right. that there's like this selection not only from white people but also like from black people but I honestly think that's something that makes you look better and they think okay maybe they will be taken more seriously if they just um, switch up the color in a relationship but um, For a black girl, it's a little bit hard um, because they often face that. Oh, sorry, like I don't really like um, dating black girls. Um, I think they are so loud, or yeah, they are always talking so much, and that's such a that's just so sad because um, not only do you have it hard when you're a girl and you're growing up, but being a black girl growing up is, I would say, like. Maybe twice as hard because you always have to fight against that um, stigma as um, what women are like and then what black women are like. So black women are always like a little bit stupid and um, always so loud they don't know how to behave that much. And like um, black men are usually they do have to fight against um, the assumption that they are selling drugs or that they are highly aggressive and mistreat their women. So um, that's really that's really a thing going on in Germany, and what you can do, or like what some people are doing, as an example, what my dad did, he was kind of just working against that by putting on that face, cutting off the hair, moving to a more affluent um, neighborhood. Yeah, wealthy um, neighborhood to just be seen differently to prove that. He's not all of this, which in the end, I don't think it proves anything. It just it just shows the problem more. Right. It just shows the problem more. But um, yeah, what he did was moving to a white neighborhood, a more wealthy neighborhood, to be able to afford like a better credit because apparently people like financial institutions they um, also select you or like they select the money they give to you based on who you are and where you live so when you're black 
and you live in a neighborhood like the one I grew up in, in Gröppeling, Bremen, then that puts you in a lower position as if you're black and you live in Oberneuland, which is where my dad moved to. So as a black person in Germany, you really have to play like um, hide and seek. Or like you have <laughs> right. to act like a chameleon to like change your color as uh, as much as you can, and then just act with that. Yeah, like like the whole neighborhood thing is interesting because before um, the majority of my time in Bremen, I lived in Petersburg, mm -hmm. and so which is a nice area, and. and Now I live in Bala, and so at first it was like, oh, you're moving to Bala, but now that is the hot spot, yes. and it's being gentrified, and every couple of weeks I notice so many new people moving yep. to the neighborhood, and people that quote-unquote are hipsters, mm -hmm. it's become the like hot spot. It's crazy, because I'm walking out my door and I'm like, wait a minute, I've never seen those people here yes, before, yes. or every week I'm seeing like a couple that you can tell they obviously have money, they're looking at a house because they're going to buy that house. Mm -hmm. So it just changes overnight, and that's also something that's, why is it that when you are uh, a black person or a person of color or some other ethnicity, when you live in an area that has no value? When a white person moves to the neighborhood, suddenly that neighborhood has value, like overnight. Like mm -hmm. the housing prices start to skyrocket and we never really look at the root of these issues in society, which is like sad to me because it happens like all over. It's like we're really not valued and not seen in so many different situations and it's like it's clear when one starts to really examine and look at these things you can see like oh I never thought of it like that like yeah why is that um, so I guess one thing I'm hopeful of is that with the recent like protests happening all over the world um, that yeah it puts a spotlight on these issues um, and people start to, to talk about these different types of things. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping that will happen. And what makes it so important is, as, we just, or as you just mentioned, is when a white person is involved in a black issue, or like something involving black people, it suddenly gets more attractive to the outside. So, if All of this that we are talking about is getting the attention of white people and making white people talk about it. It's automatically more talked about and it gets more attention because we can we can scream all the time. We did scream all the time. Right. We have never stopped. Like right. we we have not been quiet. We have always just fighted. We have been protesting all along, but just now it has started that white people are really starting to listen and then taking some action. So what I am hoping for too is that a lot more white people will support a podcast like this and um, listen to the issues and just doing some digging and just raising their voices and by that amplifying 
our voice too because they put the spotlight a little bit more on this and um, all of what we have to say things can change but only if the white people will pay attention because we can only do so little but they can use their privilege to do much more right this is true So, what are you working on uh, creatively at the moment? So, at the moment, I work on my own podcast, actually, uh, which I have yet to start. <laughs> I have, I already announced it on social media, but there's no like behind all of this um, yet. But that's what I'm working on now. What I did before was I did some custom sneakers. I used to get my money collected by selling custom Air Force Ones, which um, got me quite a good following um, in a short amount of time on social media. And yeah, that's what I did. I used to draw um, snakes and <laughs> these comme des garçons hearts on the uh, shoes and make, dope, right. make some cash with it which now is something that I just cannot identify with anymore and I dropped that I kind of wanted to pick that up again how long were you doing that for? for a year and a half I think okay. and then just um, things just got a little bit weird like people were like oh I did my shoe um, a few months ago, can I have that again, but like a little bit more um, on the pricier side, which already has been pricey, but I just noticed that the consumer behavior from the people that, um, yeah, asked me again to do that, they were just, they were just getting a little bit ignorant and be like yeah so why can't you do anything on the price because like I did buy previously and I started to ask myself well if you buy from a brand you don't expect the brand to just drop the price because you just bought something from right you've got 80 on, Nikes right? you can't go to yes. Nike and you're like so I bought 80 pairs can I get a, a discount no yes. no I don't do discounts and people refuse to understand that it's me sitting on a chair with my back arched like crazy, having hands that shiver a lot, and then drawing that damn <laughs> design on the shoe for a lot of hours, just as you like it, um, for you to wear it. Um, it's a lot of work, and I want that work paid. Just because I, I'm only one person, and apparently I'm a black girl does not mean that you can allow yourself to just not pay, pay full price because either pay the price or you go home I'm sorry um, but that's something I had to learn and um, yeah so I don't like that as much anymore because I think I can do more than just fit other people's expectations and then just be like oh you want this alright I'm gonna do it for you but it's not initially what I just want to do in the first place so I want to do more things that are based on what I want to do so I started to draw on like a digital 
a digital oh, a digital program program right. thing <laughs> and I started drawing on that I'm just now learning how to properly use it and then I'm trying to make prints out of it so these prints will be with um, minimal line art kind of styles and they can be printed in various sizes and then you can hang them on the wall that's a project I am working on right now and then selling a little bit of what I photograph can you say that actually? Well, no. what I took pictures of right, when I was go. traveling so here, properly English <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I also want to do just to sell some creative stuff to make some money on the side just a little bit and then yeah just putting that podcast out and hopefully reaching out to a lot of people that are interested oh damn what's going on yeah, like, what? <laughs> in, in learning um, about other people and about interesting topics that are not so much talked about okay that's yeah. what I do right now. <laughs> are, are you missing travel as much as I am because of Corona? Because I find like as an artist, it helps me to yeah get in more of a creative space when I can travel, have other like you know inspirations and things that I I see and like I've been trapped in Bremen for like four months now. <laughs> so <Trapped>. yeah. <laughs> so yes and no, I. I'm in love with traveling. I love traveling. I love to experience a different culture and surroundings and foods and smells. It's just so exciting and inspiring. But at the same time, I love the feeling of just being home and being in the same environment for. I don't want to say such a long time, but for me, such a long time. <laughs> just like you, I cannot just stay in one place for, I don't know, more than half a year or something. I have to go somewhere, but... Where's your favorite, what, like, what is your favorite city in the world? I really like France. Okay. Really, I, I love France. I think... I wouldn't say Paris is my favorite city. It's my favorite city. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I love, I just love, I love France and I love French people. Okay. A lot of people say French are just arrogant and, you know, just, there's this Parisian thing going on. But I mean, it's, I, I had a French girlfriend in the past. She's still my friend. Shout out to her. Um, the thing is, yeah, it's a thing. Like, French culture is mm -hmm. a thing. They're very proud of their culture. Yes. Um, we can only eat at certain times of the day. Uh, the way we had to eat certain things was, like, there's a thing. Yeah, but I love that attitude because they are just so confident in who they are. And they are like, just take me as I am or just go home, okay? And I kind of took that as an confidence booster to just really remind myself that you know I can be proud of myself and as long as I accept myself that's all I need and with everyone not accepting me they can just leave behind or just go back to where they came from because that really should not get to me as much as it used to right so I love the French attitude <laughs> yes. do, do you have a favorite city in France? 
I love Orléans okay. because that's where my first French experience has happened mm -hmm. because of a short school exchange and I have met made a friend there and she's still my friend and it's almost five to six years ago that we have met and we are still in touch and we usually meet every year so do you speak French? <laughs> so bad. Oh I mean uh, I understand more that I can talk right. but I'm a beginner <laughs> definitely okay, like, I'm a beginner but yeah traveling I love traveling but I love also being home and what is interesting is for the creative process usually when you're someone who just goes out and explores being home kind of is a challenge for you and your mind so you really have to learn how to inspire yourself and to motivate yourself to keep working and to understand that even if your surroundings cannot change your ideas still can so i've kind of yeah i i work with that a little bit with that mindset and i think it really helped me out a lot. Okay. Cool. So, what's the next thing for you? Where do you see yourself in the in the future? You mentioned that you were starting a new traineeship or yes. internship or something. So, I really want to focus on the media and design and just creating, creating basically oh, just creating. Um, the traineeship that I do is based on making an idea become reality that's basically what it is so as I said I don't identify myself as a photographer so I think this is really the place where I should be because it just gives me the freedom to really express who I am or like express someone's idea into what I think is fitting and then making it become real and valuable so that's really where I want to be so I'm happy I did that I choose to go that direction and then more far in the future I hope that I can stay in that environment and maybe be like you know a freelancer in somewhat of all of this and just do what I like, actually, and just do what I'm good at, which is all of those things. Okay. <laughs> and not just one. I don't think I will soon settle myself in just one place. Okay. It's just nothing I see myself as. Okay, right. You have many <laughs> talents. There's a lot of yes. things that you want to explore. Definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Chalvo. Um, can you let everyone know where they can find you on your different social media? Definitely. So on Instagram is where I am the most active or where I'm only active actually. <laughs> <laughs> so on Instagram you can find me on either HTTP Josephine with a PH and then ENBN or at Fine Things which is with a PH and then a point and then things. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, thank you so much.
It's really been uh, a pleasure sitting down and talking with you. And yeah, I encourage everyone to go add her on Instagram because she's really talented and yeah, she's dope. So thanks for joining me on another episode of Childhood. Hey friends, I hope you have enjoyed my two-part discussion on the black experience in Germany with Josephine. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you follow her on Instagram and support her. It's very important that we work to amplify the voices of black women and black creatives because so often, especially black women, get overlooked in creative spaces. And again, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, I would love to hear from you. So please feel free to contact me at chalvopod at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the content, please subscribe or rate the episode. Till we meet again, my friends, I'm out.